0: Chapter 5 of Uncle Silas. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Uncle Silas by J. Sheridan Le Fenu. Chapter 5 Sights and Noises. There is not an old house in England of which the servants and young people who live in it do not cherish some traditions of the ghostly. Knoll has its shadows, noises, and marvellous records. Rachel Rithin, the beauty of Queen Anne's time, who died of grief for the handsome Colonel Norbrook, who was killed in the low countries, walks the house by night in crisp and sounding silks. She is not seen only heard. The tapping of her high-heeled shoes, the sweep and rustle of her brocades, her sighs as she pauses in the galleries, near the bedroom doors, and sometimes, on stormy nights, her sobs. There is, beside, the link-man, a lank, dark-faced, black-haired man, in a sable suit, with a link or torch in his hand. It usually only smoulders, with a deep red glow as he visits his beat. The library is one of those rooms he sees to. Unlike Lady Rachel, as the maid called her, he is seen only never heard. His steps fall noiseless as shadows on floor and carpet. The lurid glow of his smoldering torch imperfectly lights his figure and face, and, except when much perturbed, his link never blazes. On those occasions, however, as he goes his rounds, he ever and anon whirls it around his head, and it bursts into a dismal flame. This is a fearful omen, and always portends some direful crisis or calamity. It occurs only once or twice in a century. I don't know whether madame had heard anything of these phenomena, but she did report, which very much frightened me and Mary Quince. She asked us who walked in the gallery on which her bedroom opened, making a rustling with her dress, and going down the stairs and breathing long breaths here and there. Twice, she said, she had stood in her door in the dark, listening to the sounds, and once she called to know who it was, there was no answer, but the person plainly turned back and hurried towards her with an unnatural speed, which made her jump within her door and shut it when the first such tales are told they excite the nerves of the young and the ignorant intensely but the special effect i have found soon wears out the tale simply takes its place with the rest it was with madame's narrative about a week after its relation i had my experience of a similar sort mary quince went downstairs for a night-light leaving me in bed a candle burning in the room and being tired I fell asleep before her return. When I awoke, the candle had been extinguished, but I heard a step softly approaching. I jumped up, quite forgetting the ghost and thinking only of Mary Quince, and opened the door expecting to see the light of her candle. Instead it was all dark, and near me I heard the fall of a bare foot on the oak floor. It was as if someone had stumbled. I said, Mary? But no answer came only a rustling of clothes and a breathing at the other side of the gallery which passed off towards the upper staircase. I turned into my room, freezing with horror, and clapped my door. The noise wakened Mary Quince, who had returned and gone to her bed half an hour before. About a fortnight after this, Mary Quince, a very voracious spinster, reported to me that, having got up to fix the window, which was rattling at about four o'clock in the morning, she saw a light shining from the library window. She could swear to its being a strong light streaming through the chinks of the shutter and moving. No doubt the link was waved about his head by the angry Link-man. These strange occurrences helped, I think, just then to make me nervous, and prepared the way for the odd sort of ascendancy which, through my sense of the mysterious and supernatural, that repulsive Frenchwoman was gradually... And it seemed without effort, establishing over me some dark points of her character speedily emerged from the prismatic mist with which she had enveloped it. Mrs. Rusk's observation about the agreeability of newcomers I found to be true, for as Madame began to lose that character, her good humour abated very perceptibly, and she began to show gleams of another sort of temper that was lurid and dangerous. Notwithstanding this, she was in the habit of always having her Bible open by her, and was austerely attentive at morning and evening services, and asked my father with great humility to lend her some translations of Swedenborg's books, which she laid much to heart. When we went out for our walk, if the weather were bad, we generally made our promenade up and down the broad terrace in front of the windows. Sullen and malign at times she used to look, and as suddenly as she would pat me on the shoulder caressingly and smile with a grotesque benignity, asking tenderly, Are you fatigued, ma chérie? Or, Are you code, du mode? At first these abrupt transitions puzzled me, sometimes half frightened me, savoring, I fancied, of insanity. The key, however, was accidentally supplied, and I found that these accesses of demonstrative affection were sure to supervene whenever my father's face was visible through the library windows. I did not know well what to make of this woman, whom I feared with a vein of superstitious dread. I hated being alone with her after dusk in the schoolroom. She would sometimes sit for half an hour at a time, with her wide mouth drawn down at the corners, and a scowl looking into the fire, if she saw me looking at her she would change all this on the instant affect a sort of languor and lean her head upon her hand and ultimately have recourse to her bible but i fancied she did not read but pursued her own dark ruminations for i observed that the open book might often lie for half an hour or more under her eye and yet the leaf never turned i should have been glad to be assured that she prayed when on her knees or read, when that book was before her. I should have felt that she was more canny and human. As it was, those external pieties made a suspicion of a hollow contrast with realities that helped to scare me. Yet it was but a suspicion I could not be certain. Our rector and the curate, with whom she was very gracious and anxious about my collects and catechism, had exalted an opinion of her, in public places her affection for me was always demonstrative. In like manner she contrived conferences with my father. She was always making excuses to consult him about my reading, and to confide in him her sufferings, as I learned, from my contumacy and temper. The fact is, I was altogether quiet and submissive. But I think she had a wish to reduce me to a state of the most abject bondage." SHE HAD DESIGNS OF DOMINATION AND SUBVERSION REGARDING THE ENTIRE HOUSEHOLD, NOW I BELIEVE, WORTHY OF THE EVIL SPIRIT I SOMETIMES FANCIED HER. MY FATHER BECKONED ME INTO THE STUDY ONE DAY, AND SAID HE, YOU OUGHT NOT TO GIVE POOR MADAME SO MUCH PAIN. SHE IS ONE OF THE FEW PERSONS WHO TAKE AN INTEREST IN YOU. WHY SHOULD SHE HAVE SO OFTEN TO COMPLAIN OF YOUR ILL-TEMPER AND DISOBEDIENCE? Why should she be compelled to ask my permission to punish you? Don't be afraid, I won't concede that, but in so kind a person it argues much. Affection I can't command, respect and obedience I may, and I insist on your rendering both to madame. But sir, I said, roused into courage by the gross injustice of the charge, "'I have always done exactly as she bid me "'and never said one disrespectful word to madame.' "'I don't think, child, you are the best judge of that. "'Go and amend.' "'And with a displeased look he pointed to the door. "'My heart swelled with the sense of wrong, "'and as I reached the door I turned to say another word. "'But I could not and only burst into tears. "'There, don't cry, little Maud.' Let us do better for the future. There, 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 that has been enough. And he kissed my forehead and gently put me out and closed the door. In the schoolroom I took courage, and with some warmth upbraided madame. What wicked child, moaned madame dumourly. Lead aloud those three, yes, those three chapters of the Bible, my dear Maud. There was no special fitness in those particular chapters and when they were ended she said in a sad tone, Natya, yeah. you must commit to memory "'this pretty prayer for humility of art.' "'It was a long one, "'and in a state of profound irritation "'I got through the task. "'Mrs. Rusk hated her. "'She said she stole wine and brandy "'whenever the opportunity offered, "'and that she was always asking her "'for such stimulants and pretending pains in her stomach. "'Here, perhaps there was exaggeration,' But I knew it was true, that I had been, at different times, dispatched on that errand and pretext for brandy to Mrs. Rusk, who at last came to her bedside with pills and a mustard blister only, and was hated irrevocably ever after. I felt all this was done to torture me. But a day is a long time to a child, and they forgive quickly. It was always with a sense of danger that I heard Madame say she must go and see Monsieur Rithin in the library and I think a jealousy of her growing influence was an ingredient in the detestation in which honest Mrs. Rusk held her. End of chapter 5